Now, you are waiting here in Mark chapter 10 for uh, the 11th episode, if you will, of Jesus 101. We've been involved in this study for the majority of the fall as we've been going through and learning about who Jesus is and what he requires of his disciples. It is a, a, a neat thing to see what Jesus has to say to us, even if we don't like it. And today we're going to come across a passage that might just rub you the wrong way. Might just make you go, ooh, I don't like that. And I got to tell you, when I read it, I didn't like it either. I read this and thought, I don't want to preach this. This is yucky. But sometimes the most harsh truth is the truth we need to hear. Yes, you have a booger. That's a harsh truth. But it's a truth you need to hear because you don't want to walk around like that the rest of the day. You need to know that you have a booger. It's important. You need to hear harsh truths in this life because they are the ones that change us the most. My wife has shared some harsh truths with me over the years. I didn't receive them as truths in the immediate vicinity of her sharing them. In fact, I thought, I hate you right now, right? No, I never hated my wife. But I'm telling you, there's been things that she's said to me that have really offended me. But the things that she's said that, that, said that have caused the most offense are usually the things that cause the most change. In fact, one of the harshest things ever said to me was right down in my office after a sermon one day. I went down the hall and I went to my office and a trusted advisor came and knocked on my door. I says, yes, what's going on? He said, I need to talk to you for just a minute. I says, what is it? He said, I just wanted to tell you, and I, and I, I hesitate to do it, but everything that makes you a good preacher, you did not do today. I thought, do you want to fight here or in the sanctuary? That's the choice. But what was he telling me? He says, you're a good preacher. I, I like the way that you speak from the pulpit, but what you do well, you didn't do today. And, and he confronted me on speaking from anger instead of speaking from joy. It was an important moment. Sometimes the harshest truth is the truth that we need to hear. And Jesus is going to share a harsh truth with somebody today about one of the most important questions, maybe the most important question that we face in this life. And his word to that man is also going to be a word to us today. It's incredibly important that we see what Jesus says and what it's all about. We're going to be in chapter 10, verse 17 and following, and we're going to be reading a number of verses this morning. So stick with me. Don't snooze. Let's read this whole thing. Here we go. And he was setting out on his journey. This was Jesus setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So Peter began to say to him, well, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, 
There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Yuck! I don't like any of that. I don't want to hear this story ever again. Because Jesus has a man come to him that, that we look at and go, that, that looks like a pretty good dude. And Jesus asks something of him that we're like, is he asking that of all of us? And he's going to say that, that his eternal life is contingent upon something that seems to make no sense to any of us. What is going on here? And why is Jesus doubling down on how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? What is going on in this story? Well, the first thing that's going on is Jesus is starting a journey. Let's not miss the context. And Jesus began his journey. Where's Jesus headed? He's headed to Jerusalem, where he's going to die on a cross for the sins of humanity. That's where Jesus is headed. That He's beginning his journey right here. And as he does, a young man comes up and he kneels before Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've been waiting for this question. Like, if you've been reading Mark, you don't know it, but you've been waiting for this question too. This is the big question, isn't it? Don't we want to know how we're going to get to our eternal reward? There's something in our soul, something in our spirits that says, this life is not the end. My soul goes on. Something's going to happen after I die with me, and I, I, I'm not just going to be annihilated, and I want to know how I get to the good place. I want to know how, how I get to my eternal reward. This man's asking the most important question that we can ask. How do I receive an eternal reward as opposed to the opposite? That's what this man comes to do. And so Jesus sort of takes a spiritual temperature. First he says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. He's, he, he's asking, do you really equate me with God? That's the question. Do you really equate me with God? And then he goes on to sort of see where his preconceived notions are. He goes, you know the commandments. He lists them all. The guy goes, yeah, ever since my youth, I've really kept those. I, I've been really good about doing good things. And not only that, so, so, so let's just think about this man for just a minute who asked the question. Let's just think about this for just a, just a second. Number one, he kneels before Jesus. That's not something that we do often as human beings, like kneel before other human beings as a sign of worship. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a great sign of humility here. Number two, there's no reason to discount the idea that he's lived a pretty good life by human standards. There's no reason to think, yeah, he's lying when he said he didn't murder anybody. No, he's probably telling the truth. Probably telling the truth, all right? Not only that, but in the ancient world, there wasn't this dichotomy between the rich and the poor insofar as the poor would always look at the rich and say, well, they must have done underhanded things to get there. No, in fact, in the ancient world, when somebody was rich, it was a sign of God's blessing. So, so they would have seen this man and go, wow, that's humility. They would look at that guy and go, wow, he's kept the law. Or they would look at him and go, yeah, yeah, he's rich. He's, he's, he's blessed by God. And Jesus looks at him and says, all right, you want eternal life? Then fine, one thing you lack. Go sell everything, give it to the poor, come and follow me. That should make our jaw drop just a little bit because that's what Jesus says to him. Now, why would Jesus say that? Does everybody have to get rid of all of their wealth in order to follow the Lord? No, certainly not. There was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They seemed to have money, but they hadn't given up all their wealth. So, so what's going on here in this time that Jesus says this to this man? Why would he say that he has to give all of this up? What is going on here? 
Either way, until we figure out what's going on here, we can settle on one thing, and it's going to come up on the screen for you. We can settle on the idea that eternal life requires an exchange. Eternal life, according to Jesus, requires an exchange. Now, for this man, the exchange was all that he had. All of his possessions, all of his wealth, go and give it to the poor, and then you follow me, and you'll be taken care of. That's what Jesus is saying to this man at this moment. It's a shocking revelation, but this is what Jesus says to him at this moment. Your eternal life is contingent upon you getting rid of everything you have and following me. But we can't make this normative, can we? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to like, bring your wallets to the front later with your credit cards. And I'm not, we're not going to just get out a cube and just keep swiping until it's all given away to good causes and then go, all right, now we're all saved. We're not going to do that today. We're not going to take this concept to the nth degree. So what is the nature of the exchange? This is the question we have to ask ourselves. What's the nature of the exchange that Jesus is asking of this man? What's the exchange that gets him to eternal life? You say, you say I, I, I don't know if I'm following you. Listen, what's the exchange that you and I have to make? Isn't this the question? What's the exchange? Because this sort of goes against what we've been taught, what we've done been taught. Because we've been taught, if we sat in church long enough, that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Thank you, Ephesians. We love you. We've been taught that there is nothing that we can do to affect our salvation, yet for this man, he had to get rid of everything to follow Jesus. So what's the nature of the exchange? Well, Jesus explains it. He explains the nature of the exchange in the very next part of the passage. What does he say? He, he, he realizes that the disciples are stunned by this interaction. This man went away ostensibly not to inherit eternal life, and his disciples are like, wow. He knelt before Jesus. He showed him honor. He's kept the commandments. He's rich, which means he's blessed, and he's not even getting saved. How, how, do, how do we get saved? And Jesus turns around, looks at them. It says he looked around, and he sees everybody going, oh, no, Jesus, you're being mean again. And he says, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? That's the answer. Jesus has answered the nature of the exchange. It's right there. Because there's a change in language. What's the change in language? The man came to Jesus, knelt before him, and said, good teacher, how may I what? Inherit eternal life. When Jesus explains what he just did, what does he say? He says, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? The explanation is right here. Remember when Jesus came in Mark 1, what did he, what did he preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. I am here, and therefore God's reign, God's rulership, God's sovereign authority is about to be exercised on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Because what's a kingdom anyways? Is it, is it the borders of the kingdom? Is it, is it the castles? Is it the knights and ladies-in-waiting? Is that what a kingdom is? No. A kingdom, a kingdom is based in the sovereign reign of the king. That's what Jesus has come to earth to do. He has come to bring about the sovereign reign of God over and against what's reigning on the earth right now. And what he's explaining to us is that this man cannot enter the sovereign reign of God as it stands right now. Because something else has a sovereign reign over him. Something else is exerting its rule 
over him. And for that man, at that point in the history of his life, what was exerting its sovereign reign over him? His wealth. Jesus says it again. He says, how hard is it for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel, the largest land mammal that they would have ever seen, to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person enter the kingdom of God. Because why? Because the sovereign reign of money and wealth is hard to exchange for the sovereign reign of God. But the exchange requires a new reign. That's what Jesus is saying to the man. An exchange requires a new Lord. Isn't it interesting that one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, Romans 10, 9, says what? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. What are the two elements necessary for salvation? Let's start with the second one, to believe in our hearts that God has done something to get us out of the reign of sin and death. But what's the first part? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Who do we call Lord? We call Lord the King. Yes, my Lord. We call the King the Lord. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is now the sovereign ruler of our lives, if we're admitting that we are no longer under the rulership of anything else, then we shall be saved. So Jesus is saying it is really hard to trade in the sovereign reign of one's money for the sovereign reign of God. We're after money. We all want money. We all want more money. But the more money we have, more problems come with it, and it becomes something that rules us rather than us ruling it. It could become the generating principle of our lives. But here's where it comes down to you and me, because I don't know whether you consider yourself wealthy or not, but Jesus is about to expand the conversation. Because the point here is not just about wealth. The point here is not simply about possessions. If this was the way to get saved, as I said, we would just get out the cubes, we'd start swiping, and we'd all give away our money, and we'd all have treasure in heaven and be saved today. But that's not what this is all about. Jesus expands the conversation. The disciples said, so, so are we even saved? Who can be saved? Jesus. Who can be saved? If a guy like that is having trouble entering the kingdom of God, how can we be saved? And Jesus says, listen, listen, guys. Whoever has left houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, lands, whoever is willing to trade the sovereign reign of what the earth has to offer for the sovereign reign of God will be saved. And he makes it present. Hear me, he makes it present. Let, let, let us not leave this place thinking, well, Pastor Matt stretched this eternal life uh, issue and the kingdom of God issue into two separate things. It isn't two separate things. Look what Jesus says. Look at verse 30. He says, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children. Now in this time. Jesus is saying the sovereign reign of God starts now. And then he ends verse 30 with, look at it, and in the age to come, eternal life. So what's Jesus saying? I'm looking for you to make the exchange right now. And if you make this exchange, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. The exchange rate is to your benefit. 
if you will allow the sovereign reign of whatever else this life has to offer to come under the sovereign reign of who God is, it's going to be to your benefit. He says, if you're willing to lay aside houses, mothers, brothers, sisters, all of this, if you're willing to lay this aside, you're going to gain so much more. You're going to gain more mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in this life right now. The exchange rate is to your benefit. God will take care of you. God will look after you. You don't need to worry about houses. You don't need to worry about lands. He's got it all. He's already taught his disciples this lesson. He sent them out two by two to preach the gospel. He says, don't take any money. Don't take any food. Don't take an extra tunic. I'll take care of you. He's taught them this lesson already. He's taught them this lesson that if you'll really follow me, if you'll put yourself under the sovereign reign of God, I'll take care of you. I'll put people in your life that you need. I'll put the finances in your life that you need. I will look after you, but you must make the exchange. And it's really hard for us to think that that even our familial relationships need to come under the sovereign reign of God. Even our finances have to come under the sovereign reign of God. Even our houses need to come under the sovereign reign of God. But that is what Jesus is requiring. And if, if you do, he says... You're going to be better for it. The exchange rate is to your benefit. I remember the first time I went out of the country, I went to the Dominican Republic. I had $60 in my pocket, maybe 70 And the first thing you do when you go on a missions trip is you go exchange money, right, so you can buy things in country. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give up my three Andrew Jacksons for those measly pesos. I had my American money with my American pride. And my American dollars, and I'm like, I don't want to exchange this. But I realized if I wanted to buy anything, I needed to. So I plunked my Andrew Jackson down on the table, and I think the exchange rate was like 18 pesos to a dollar at that point. It was at 2001. And I get, I get these, and all of a sudden I got this stack of money. And the guys had amazing mustaches on that money. There is no mustaches on Andrew Jackson. <laughs> mustaches were awesome. And then I began to go into the marketplaces, and I began to go different places, and I realized how much buying power I had. Not only did did I get, like, all of these pesos, but these pesos could buy me a lot in the Dominican that I could have never afforded in the United States. I'm like, whoa, I should have exchanged more money. I could just leave my clothes here and take back four million trinkets to the United States. (laughs) The exchange rate was to my benefit, but when I put my money on the table, I could not imagine that that could be true. Couldn't imagine it, that I'd have so much buying power. I wanted to keep my American money in my pocket. But there it was. The exchange rate was to my benefit. Jesus is saying the exchange rate is to your benefit. Would you believe it, he's asking. That's the question. I I think the two greatest questions in our life is, how do we receive eternal life? And and if I'm to come to Jesus, how much is it going to cost me? I think think that's the the major question. That's what some of you are sitting here week after week asking, aren't you? You're in church. You're sort of kneeling before Jesus. You're kneeling your life before him. You think he's a good guy. But but if I truly come under the sovereign reign of God, what's it going to cost me? Is it going to be to my benefit? And Jesus says, yes, it will. There'll be persecutions. There'll be hard things. But it will be to your benefit if you put other things under my sovereign reign, if you put your family under my sovereign reign, if you put your finances under my sovereign reign, your house under my sovereign reign, your American dream under my sovereign reign, it'll be to your benefit. You're going to gain more than you could ever imagine. You're even going to gain family. Look at the person next to you, and depending on gender, say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Go ahead, go ahead, look at him. Yeah, yeah. Look what you've gained. Look what you've gained. Now, 
Now, I want you to look at somebody who's obviously older than you and say, you're my father, you're my mother. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Some of you are doing it right now. Jerks. You're jerks is what you are. Don't do that. Don't do that. But Jesus knows in advance that, that, that he's going to have a church of people who love one another, that take care of one another, that look after one another. And between us all, there's a lot of houses and lands, aren't they? Aren't they? I mean, there's a lot of houses and lands. I was out on Travis White's property this week. If the apocalypse happens, I'm going to go live in his barn. I'm going to be set. No worries. And he is my father in Christ. He's old. No, I'm kidding, Travis. I'm kidding. Amen, thank you. God's saying the exchange rate is to your benefit. Will you trust him to make the exchange? Will you trust Jesus to make the exchange? And this is what Jesus wants to say to us today. One's hard and one's easy. One's the hard word, one's the great word. Here's the hard word for you and for me today. One thing you lack. That's the hard word. That's the hard truth. For many of us sitting in here today, there's one thing we lack. Something else reigns over us. We're not allowing the kingdom of God to reign over us. That's the hard word today. Our American dream, our concept of family, perhaps our pocketbook like this man, really determines where we go, what we do, and what we give our time to. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, you're missing it. There's a huge disconnect here for this man. Think about this for just a minute. Here's the disconnect. Here's what proves that this man has missed it. You want to hear it? He's willing to trust Jesus for his eternal life, but he's not willing to trust Jesus for his temporal one. He's willing to trust Jesus with forever, just not right now. Do you see the disconnect? That doesn't make any logical sense. But so many times we sit in church and we trust Jesus for our eternal life, but he is not allowed to rule and reign over our temporal one. That's dangerous. He says the exchange rate is to your benefit. Make the exchange. I'll take care of you in this life. You will never regret making the exchange. You'll never regret it. And in the life to come, in the age to come, eternal life is what he says. You won't regret the exchange now, and you will receive eternal life. That's real trust. That's real faith. That's what God is after in and through each and every one of us. He wants us to trust him with everything. I can't go back and erase any of the sins I've done in my life, and I can't erase the sins that I did this week, and I can't erase the sins that I'll do by the end of today. I can't, I can't do anything about those. I can't, I can't stand before God and say, I was sinless, I deserve an eternal reward. I can't do that. All I can do is stand before God and say, I trusted you with my life. So I know that I can trust you with my eternity. That's real belief. Belief is when you do something about what you believe. That's true belief. God is saying to some of us today, one thing you lack, one thing you lack, something else rules and reigns over you, which means you don't trust me. That's the hard news. Here's the good news. 
I don't know how to fix that. You say, the good news is you don't know what you're talking about? No, no. I said, I don't know how to fix that. That's the good news. I don't know how to trust him like this. I heard a story this week of, of a Christian pastor. He had one of these mega churches. You know, the ones that run like Best Buy and they, they look like Starbucks. They're just awesome. Everything that a pastor in the, one, in the world could want. Big, great big church, fame, all of it. And I read this week that he is taking his family, his seven children, and moving to Hong Kong to share the gospel with the poorest of the poor. I, I don't know that that's what God's going to call me to, but what type of faith that must take? What type of trust it must take to say, the American dream, forget about it. My family, they'll be taken care of in one of the craziest places in the world right now because people need to know that Jesus is Lord. I can't imagine. I sat in a small group with somebody last week in the workshop, our tell the story element of our discipleship process. We're sitting in a small group, and he says, somebody says, have you been sharing with anybody about Jesus? And he goes, yeah, I've been able to share with some people, pray with some people, even some of my clients. Somebody goes, wow, that's bold. You can get fired. And without missing a beat, the guy was no bravado, no weirdness. He just looks at him and goes, yeah, it's just a job. Somebody's bought into the fact that houses, brothers, mothers, sisters, lands, it all will be taken care of if he makes the exchange. How do you get to this type of trust and this type of faith? I don't know. Here's the good word for you today. With God, all things are possible. The disciples look at Jesus and go, yeah, we've left everything. We're still not sure if we trust you enough. And Jesus is like, that's fine. You can't. But with God, all things are possible. That means we got to go to the source and say, God, could I trust you? Could I trust you? Could I trust you to, to such an extreme that you truly have sovereign reign over my life? I'll trust that the exchange rate is to my benefit and that eternal life is in the waiting. Would you pray with me today?